Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're exploring a unique partnership between two of my personal favorite brands, the outdoor blanket sensation Rumple and the eco-conscious apparel trailblazers at Houdini. This episode isn't just about a product, it's about a philosophy, a journey of sustainability, and the art of meaningful collaboration. Wiley Robinson from Rumpel makes his return to the podcast, joined by Houdini's Joseph Nystrom Baxas, to unravel the story behind their fascinating collaboration for the Reconnect Puffy Blanket. We're talking about everything from the challenges of integrating supply change to the ethos of circular design and how these brands are redefining the outdoor gear landscape. So whether you're gearing up for your next adventure or you're passionate about sustainable design, this episode is packed with insights that you won't want to miss. Get ready to be inspired as we delve into a conversation that's all about pushing boundaries and staying true to your values. Let's jump right into the heart of this innovative partnership. Grab your favorite blanket, find a cozy spot, and on with the show. The word consumer is a word that internally we try to use the word user instead. Words matter. We live in a very consumerist society and and that's a part of the mess we're in. We want to enable, we call it a live large with less lifestyle. So a key focus for us is to do really versatile quality products so you can have a smaller wardrobe. And that's actually something that also will enable easier to go on an adventure. You never know what's going to happen on an adventure, right? So you're always prepared. In that shift from seeing our customers as consumers to try to build relations with them going from a transactional to relational economy. If you haven't yet used Motion, the creative analytics platform used by top e-com and D2C brands like Fiori, True Classic, The Farmer's Dog, Hexclad, and hundreds more to ship winning ads, here's why you should try it out. Everyone knows that the right creative is the number one lever for success with paid ads. That's how you make money. But consistently shipping new winning creative? You're going to need your media buyers and your creative teams on the same page. Right now, you're probably spending hours tiring away, going back and forth between Google Sheets and your ad platforms and tools, and then spending even more time plugging it all into different decks for the rest of your team. In a perfect world, you could have an elegant way to combine visual assets and performance data so media buyers can save time and creative teams can get the details they need to make great ads all in one place. And that's where Motion comes in. In seconds, you can build powerful visual reports using data from your ad accounts. You can monitor your performance metrics and see your visual assets in the same platform. No need to go back and forth across multiple apps. You'll finally have media buyers and creative teams working together to create and scale your next big winner. If you're ready to learn how the best D2C and e-commerce brands use Motion to ship winning Meta, TikTok, and YouTube ads, book a demo today or start a free trial at motionapp.com DTC. Even better, Motion offers a monthly subscription plan so you can dodge those annoying annual contracts. Get 50% off your first month when you use the link motionapp.com DTC on sign up. Wiley, Joseph, welcome to the D2C podcast. This is a big one for me. I was just saying two of my favorite personal brands. Wiley, I interviewed you within my first, I think, 20 or 30 D2C podcasts. And we had had a great chat about Rumpel's Rumpel's rise, and then I just kind of came across Houdini as a uh, on, on one of my favorite websites called The Last Hunt, where I, where you can get last season sportswear at a big discount. And I came across Houdini, and I and I just ended up buying this shirt. It's become like my favorite all weather shirt here on the West Coast. So then I was on LinkedIn, and I saw that you guys were doing a really interesting looking collaboration, and I thought, let's do a podcast 
on collaboration with two of my favorite brands. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you, Eric. Who, who can start us off here? How did this come about? Uh, I can probably start it off because I think it was it was largely um, just a conversation between me and Nicholas. Um, and so some context here is uh, Nicholas is married is married to uh, this amazing woman named Ryan, who years ago did PR for Rumpel. Um, she worked at an agency in the Bay Area called Jam Collective, and she was our account manager. Um, she's since gone on to start her own PR agency, but we've stayed in touch just you know through industry and. Um, and she's married to Nicholas, and and that's kind of how I think we got connected, Nicholas and I. And he came over, and you know, we sat down and chatted. And really, before even talking about products or or what you know we wanted to do as far as a partnership, it was kind of like checking each other out, making sure that you know there was good, easy communication. And and uh, I would say that that's maybe jumping ahead here, but that's like for me the most important thing in any partnership is that you're going to be going through a lot of stuff with with the partner, you know, legal stuff, product development, there's going to be opinions and making sure that you have a good rapport with the other side is really, really important. So we immediately hit it off and, you know, took some mountain bike rides and knew a bunch of the same people. And um, that to me was a really good sign that this would be a good partnership. And then Joseph, from your side, why, why did, uh, why was Rumpel such an attractive uh, partner to, to build this with? Um, several reasons, I, I think. I mean, Rumpel is a really, interesting up and coming player uh, with you know strong brand ethos and and strong products and good position that will match our uh, in in north america where we need to establish ourselves more but i think uh, product wise is a, it felt like a natural intuitive match as well so that was easy to get hooked and then and then i as wireless says when you start to talk and you get the, the good flow and a good vibe, then it's, it just keeps on rolling, I think. And Wiley, I remember I asked you in our original interview if you were planning on going into other sort of um, verticals within either outdoor wear or, or homeware. And you were like, no, we're, we're mining blankets. We're, we're really focused on blankets. And I imagine that made it easy because I guess Houdini, Houdini doesn't build blankets. That's the other aspect of this is there's, it's, it's a perfect collaborative product because there's no, no competition in this. Yeah, I mean, one one real advantage that Rumpel has had over the years is there's very few blanket brands. I mean, there are lots of blanket products out there, but very few strong brands associated with the category. And as a result, we've had really, you know, pretty amazing access to not only other brands to collaborate with, but artists and athletes and influencers. There's no like overlap in, you know, somebody that might sponsor an athlete. You know, they don't have a blanket sponsor for the most for the most part. So we've had really good access to partners. So what were the what were the initial goals and vision for this project at, when it was set up? You sort of you you met you you you, you mountain biked. I think that's key. You got to get out get out get out in nature. Uh, decide yeah. you, you wanted to collab, and then what what were the goals and visions f- for the project? I, I can start from our side. Um, so for us, uh, we we do not currently have a circular manufacturing process, and, and Joseph can speak more about you know what that is and, and Houdini's philosophy on that. But it's something that is super admirable. And I was really interested in um, understanding what it would take to create a product like that. Um, and Houdini does that better than anyone. And so from our point of view, there was a big learning appetite. That was a real uh, driver of why we wanted to do this. And then, you know, just really good alignment with the philosophy of the brand. Um, you know, sustainability is, is of utmost importance with Houdini as it is with Rumpel. And so that part, you know, when you can align values in that way, 
uh, that's so much stronger than just having, you know, two cool aesthetics coming together or something like that. So from my point of view, that was really the big driver. It helps that both of your things look so cool too, though. I wouldn't, we wouldn't, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that does help. It hurt. Yeah. I mean, that there, there hurt. could be a partner coming to the table that has, you know, great values and that's all really aligned, but it just doesn't look like us. And so it's kind of like, well, what's this thing going to be? Um, so yeah, it, it helps that Houdini is a beautiful looking brand as well. Joseph, could you explain circular, the circular philosophy uh, and how it relates to Houdini products before you get into why you wanted to partner with Rumpel? Yeah. So the circular principle is that, um, if you zoom out a bit, we're part of a, um, I mean, the outdoor or the textile outdoor industry, it's, it's a $3 trillion big linear machine extracting uh, natural assets and then creating products that everything goes to waste. So the, the circle principle is that nothing goes to waste, like in nature. It's actually trying to, to mimic nature in that way, in that sense, to make sure that uh, that resources are used efficiently and, and um, not becoming waste. That's the main idea. Can you give me some practical app of what that sort of looks like practically in a brand like Houdini? Yeah, so we have, um, we have a few design principles and a designer's checklist. And I think that's, that's a, a guardrails that will help us to stay on course. Um, the first question of the designer's checklist is, does this product deserve to exist? I think, you know, uh, it's, it's boiling it down to the first principles. Uh, and about circularity, it's not rocket science, but you need to have a mindful design and, and design for circularity from the start. So for instance, it means not mixing fibers in textiles, not mixing Houdini never mixes natural fibers with a synthetic fiber, for instance, because then it will be neither biodegradable nor recyclable. That's interesting. Um, and I, this fits, I remember uh, when we talked, Wiley, you were going through the process of the, the carbon, the, the sort of climate neutral certified. So I know that, mm -hmm. I, I, so that's sort of like an approximation, I guess, or that's like a, could be a piece of the, of, 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 of the circular principle, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, it's a little different. I mean, cl climate neutral, at least the way that we look at it, is um, basically a self-imposed tax we put on ourselves. We measure all of our scope one, two, and three carbon emissions each year that we conduct as a business, and we simply pay to uh, fund offset programs for that carbon. Um, Got it. Th there's, there's a lot that businesses can do to reduce their carbon emissions. Um, but it can get very, very tricky, very scientific and technical. Um, and some of it is a little bit out of your control. Um, so we just say, Hey, we know that we are putting carbon into the atmosphere as a business and we choose to offset it with, uh, with funding offset programs. So it's, it's a little different in that sense, but it, it is all under the same sort of, you know, sustainability umbrella. Uh, we want to be conducting business in a way that is, uh, that is having the least negative impact on the planet as possible. Um, you know, it, con conducting any business is going to have some impact on the planet. Um, the best way to truly eliminate your impact is to shut down your business. Um, but that's that's probably not going to be on the table for most people. You know, we, we have a capitalist society. People try to earn a living. And, and so as a byproduct of that, businesses will continue to exist. So we take the position that we choose to um, to offset uh, the, the, the negative harm, at least from a carbon perspective, that this business uh, has on the planet. 
Very cool. And then Joseph, back to the original question there. What was what were your goals? What was the from your side on the partnership side at Houdini's? What, what was your goal for this collaboration? Um, as Wiley was uh, touching upon, I think we had a great match in values, and and um, and it was easy to find um, to make it feel relevant, and and more than just you know smashing two logos onto a blanket. Uh, it felt like Rumpel is, is about, you know, amplifying magical moments, I think, you know, in the outdoors and Houdini's purpose is to reconnect to nature. So it felt like a good fit because it's important for us that it's genuine. And then I think also Houdini is never going to be, I think, the biggest player out there. And that's not ultimately our goal, but we want to be the best and we want to make sure that we actually are moving practices uh, forward. And in order to, to make sure that we actually have a large impact, we need to create a ripple effect. And a good way to create a ripple effect is uh, through collaborations and challenging a partner, uh, using a, um, a partner to amplify your, your own vo voice and, and um, together create a synergy that actually one and one equals more than two. So um, that was, the, I think, the goal here. And looking at the product, it looks like that's something, it, it, it's something It's something that Houdini wasn't going to do. It's something that Rumpel wasn't going to do. But together, you look at it and it looks like a pretty badass outdoor blanket. So let's talk about the product development of, of this. Once, once, you, once you decided you were collabing on a blanket, how did you make sure that it wasn't just a a Houdini stamped on a, on a rumple blanket kind of thing. We, we leverage Houdini materials in this product, and that's really the biggest thing. And so it's our form factor, but we're really leveraging the material story of Houdini in it. Um, and I think, you know, to, to the point that we've made at this point, um, putting two logos together on a rumple blanket is not a real collaboration. That's a, that's a, um, you know, that's a decorated product, a decorated Rumple product. Window so dressing. bring DNA and aspects in where you really need to integrate your supply chains to do this, that's a real collaboration. So that's that's how we came to um, really making this thing feel like it had DNA from both brands. Cool. And then talk about the material story, Joseph. I, I was, I taught, we're going to do a podcast with Nicholas Bornling, this, your, your CMO, in, in, a, in a day or two here. And he was telling me just a little bit about the the thought that goes into the materials. You mentioned you don't, um, you know, you don't mix natural and unnatural fibers. What else goes into the material story as far as Houdini is concerned? So we have a few other design principles and one is holistic comfort. So we want you to, ideally, you should be able to put on a Houdini product and close your eyes and put on a Houdini product and feel the holistic comfort. Um, so make sure even if you we create, you know, a fully waterproof three layer hard shell that it's actually comfortable silent uh, moves with your body and that's everything from pattern construction to design uh, but also a lot to do with the fabric so i think we compared to many others in the industry we have a really high standard for what we let through of fabrics we work with uh, a very selective supply chain few uh, suppliers a uh, few fabrics and um that kind of meets our standard. 
it feels like uh, they'd wear it on Dune or something, right? Like if I was in the movie Dune, an extra, and I was if I was trying to like, I feel like my Houdini shirt is what I might wear there. And you know, they're conscious of of you know they don't, they don't let AI or computers or anything in their society. So you know they're going to be very conscious about their yeah, fabric. So. The next uh, episode, next next movie. I know. <laughs> We have to we have to wait for so long, but and then ta- you you alluded to it a little bit, uh, Wiley. But you mentioned actually having to integrate supply chains in order to actually pull this product off. Can you talk about some of the challenges when it came to uh, actually manufacturing this product? Yeah, I mean, really, our, our director of product would be better at answering this, but I can say that you know you do have to. Um, so when you create a product, you generally get a, um, a a bomb, a bill of materials, and that outlines all of the materials in your product, what they cost, all of the sort of specifics, the technical features around them, and that's kind of your ingredients list for building a product. And if so, we we ultimately sewed the product, um, we we constructed the product, but we needed our supply chain to actually take these materials from Houdini's supply chain nodes and bring them into their system. So. Um, it, it just takes coordination. It's not it's not that complicated, but it does require you know trust from both sides that costs are being you know displayed correctly and um, timelines are going to line up and you're, you're basically introducing this new player into the other's supply chain. And um, so that's that's just a, a relationship that needs to be kind of ushered in and um, and managed uh, between the two factory partners. It's really no different than finding a new fact or a new fabric or something that you want to bring into your product line, but doing it with um, you know doing it with a partner and bringing it in in that way, uh, it just creates a little more complication that you just need to be sensitive to. So that's that's really all it is, um, and it's not it's not that complicated. But again, it takes trust and ensuring that the partnership is on good foot. And I think you know in the like if you in a very you know hectic. Uh, business year and a lots of, of you know seasons and production windows and everything that needs to be done and and then to to get this coordination with another it i mean it can present a lot of challenges and as as wiley says it needs to be based on trust and i think that's uh we felt all the way with rumple and that's uh, i think was one of the pieces that made this go through and then just product wise, you're not you don't have Houdini blankets, so this is the first. How does this Houdini blanket compare to other Rumple blankets? Is it is it warmer because it's using the, the, this more technical fabric? Is it is it still packable? That was my one question. Is it still packable like the Rumple is? It's it's definitely a little less packable than a than a classic Rumple blanket. It's certainly more technical though, and what I mean by technical is the the ratings on the fabrics are much higher. So. The shell material is a 20K waterproof shell. That's like, you know, what you'd expect with snow gear. Um, yep. You know, it's the same type of stuff that a super high-end ski shell or, or ski jacket would have. Um, I believe it has 15K uh, breathability, which is a, 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 a performance improvement over the 20K waterproofing. So typically you might find a 20K, 20K material that's got 20K waterproofing with 20K breathability. The lower that number is, the more breathable your fabric is. And so it achieves this really amazing balance of super, super waterproof while also, also being breathable. It's also really durable and burly. Like when you hold it, it's got some weight and heft to it. Yeah. So it just feels tough. Um, not that our products aren't tough. I mean, we we have a really durable ripstop material that, that you know, stands up to a lot. But this thing is like, again, like ski jacket bomber durability. Um, and then the inside of the, the inner liner material is this really amazing C9 fabric um, that we actually, after the partnership, we went on this like sourcing expedition to find something similar to that. 
it's very expensive material, so it's not going to work for our cost model. But it's just this really nice on-skin feel um, that I think I think your guys' top product, the the Nano Air. Um, I might be getting that name wrong. Is it Mono Air or Nano Air? Mono Air. Yeah, what is this? I haven't even looked at what this yeah. is. It feels it's, so it's good, but really amazing, like brushed uh, synthetic material that feels like this may mislead people. It's almost like a silky kind of super yeah. soft on skin experience with paired with this really burly, tough exterior. So it's this, it's a really nice drape, really nice kind yeah. of cozy while also being extremely high performance on the outside. I'll just plug. I think anyone who's like, either you got, you, maybe you like outdoors. I love the outdoors, but I also work like just, I, I like work from home, like uniforms kind of. And I just feel like this, I wear this more days than not. Cause it just feels like the, my, you know, the, what I'd wear, like I say on Dune when I, when I don't know that they did podcasts on Dune, but if they did, I'd be doing a podcast in my mono crew. So the next question would be, who is this I guess this product is for a Venn diagram of both your audiences and hopefully even outside of that. But like, yeah. well, Joseph, from your perspective, who is this product for? Yeah, so I had to do some, you know, research from at the start of this to, to you know, get my own rumble and to try to, to scope out like the use case uh, and, and, and my take on, on the rumble blankets was that I... Whenever I brought it along, whenever I used it, whenever I took it with me, I never regretted. So it it opened up, you know, everything from you know I have small kids to put them if it's winter and cold outside, just to tuck them into the blanket or use use it as um, you know for camping to add heat. If I had a you know a sleeping that bag that was on the verge of uh, too cold and just being at home outside or uh, so it was really um, um, something that I never regret bringing along and, and the think, comments people will comment on it as well which yeah. is really, people like want to know what you have there and I think is this cool. is you know along the same line as the other um, rumple blankets and uh, but of course in in the materialization of our fabrics and um, with this um, the waterproof fabric. Very mm -hmm. cool. And then from your perspective, Wiley, does this expand outside of your core customer? I'll bring up on our first interview, you were talking at that point in 2021 about a move to be on bed because 80% or a huge percentage of blanket use is on bed. Uh, where does this partner, where does that goal stand now? And, and in relation to this partnership? Yeah, so we we actually engaged in a really robust um, consumer survey exercise at the beginning of 2022. And previously, when we did record the podcast, our big ambition as a brand was to own the blanket category um, everywhere from, you know, your deep backcountry campsite all the way to on the bed and kind of everything in between. Most people aren't really aware of how broad that spectrum of this category is. I mean, you use blankets inside, outside, in your car, in the back, like all over the place. And so um, we thought there was a real case for uh, creating a brand that that satisfied this full breadth of use case spectrum. In that consumer survey that I'm referencing, we found out, not particularly surprisingly, but we found out that our consumers really, really just associate us with being an outdoor brand. They want to see more outdoor stuff from us. They want to see outdoor content. They want to see outdoor use case, outdoor tips, recommendations, etc. And we are very much uh, thought of as, you know, that sort of trusted source of, of information for outdoor uh, needs. 
And so um, we shifted the we shifted the strategy, and we are going to continue focusing on outdoor pursuits. We we did introduce a product at the end of 2021, probably right after we recorded, which was like a really beautiful wool on bed blanket that it could certainly go outside, like a Pendleton or something, but. You don't actually want to put something like that on the ground and get pine needles all over it and things like that. And the product did well, but our consumers told us that it felt sort of off brand for us to do that. Um, and so you could chalk that up to maybe we didn't launch it correctly or whatever. But um, the, the decision has been made that we're going to refocus our efforts on continuing to expand our outdoor offerings. And they're going to they're going to be expanding beyond blankets um, as soon as really as soon as spring 25. I know that seems like a long ways away, but it's about a year away. Um, we've got some really exciting stuff that that broadens the outdoor collection for us. And by focusing so deep on the one thing, you'll you'll generate this like authenticity where people will use it indoors as like a statement for like I'm so outdoorsy that I use my outdoor stuff yeah. indoors. You, you will you'll get overlap onto the bed and into the house. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 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 one of the insights, one of the early insights to why we thought we had a position to move more into the home is because consumers told us that they use the product in the home a lot. And we, we kind of double clicked on that in this more recent survey. And uh, we, we understood that people actually bring it in the home to remind them of their outdoor experience and to yeah. be able to share with their friends and people asking about, oh, this is a rumple. I did this trip with it, you know, whatever. So um, it, it was just further proof that, that uh, people associate us with outdoor and, and that's where they want to see us continue to grow. Um, and it's, it's really no surprise. I mean, Rumpel is a, is a relatively small company. We've been around this year now, 10 years, um, actually officially next year, but about 10 years. Um, and we have been super focused on blankets and specifically outdoor blankets. And that's largely due to, uh, again, the fact that we're relatively small. You know, we, we don't have huge piles of cash that we can leverage to expand into new categories or try new tests. Like the business has been growing each year. And so we need to reinvest any of our profits or any of our, our excess cash into continuing to expand what's working. And so it's been it's been intentional focus, but it's also been kind of a byproduct of just not having an abundance of resources that allow us to, to test all sorts of things all over the place. So um, I'm I'm happy with it. I feel resolved in in where the brand is going and and what we're going to push into. And uh, it definitely I'm just a big fan of focus. And so not having this shiny object of on bed in home products, while you know you start looking at the addressable market as potentially being slightly smaller that focus is actually really reassuring and comforting because you know what you need to do. Very cool. Joseph, can you talk a little bit about Houdini's focus as, as a business? So Houdini um, has been around for a while. Um, yeah, I think we're uh, closing up on 30 years. Um, it started like a, a really a project among friends. So Lotta, she's... Uh, she she's the founder and and she started to uh, make products for herself and her friends that she couldn't find on the market you know it was um, early 90s um skiing climbing expeditions and um, hard to find everything was unisex but men's wear really and um, big burly stuff and not really technical in that sense so she started to produce more um, tailored insulation pieces so so more specific and and then growing it beyond the friends and then kind of happened to start a company but then it's in the last 10 years maybe that is we have 
been growing and into more markets and um, but still trying to do you know minimalist um, clothing that are good for you and are becomes an enabler to to experience more without having a negative impact on the environment i like that i le- i also liked your take on dtu versus dtc can you explain that to our listeners uh, we have a mixed di- distribution and and um, but uh, the word consumer is a word that we have internally we we try to use the word user instead because um, words matter and and um, we live in a very consumerist society and and that's a part of the mess we're in so uh, one thing is we have been talking about circularity in production but also if you zoom out a bit and have circular behavior that that this is also a part on how you consume and and uh, we want to enable we call it a live large with less lifestyle so a key focus for us is to do really versatile quality products so you can have a smaller wardrobe and that's actually something that also will enable easier to go on an adventure because you never know what's going to happen on an adventure right so but then you're always prepared with you know your small versatile wardrobe or your your high functional versatile garments so in that moving away the shift from in our heads from just seeing our customers as consumers to try to build um, relations with them and uh, we talk about uh, going from a transactional to re- relational economy in that shift it makes more sense to talk about users because it's our users uh, and they can also access products in different ways so we try to challenge the norm of ownership as well so we do rentals we do subscription and um, yeah, secondhand, we'll call it reuse. So it's just more accurate for apparel too. You don't consume, you don't really consume anything. You, it, it enables you in different ways to feel a certain way or to, or to do a certain thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but so it we, definitely we is more accurate. D2C, we have DTU. <laughs> I was, I love, I was, you know, I was saying I was a young revolutionary in high school, and I was railing against the concept of consumerism as a way to organize society. And now I have a company with consumer in the title. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if I can change DTU just yet. But how does that resonate with you, uh, Wiley? Uh, it definitely resonates. I mean, I, I use the word consumer simply as like a muscle memory habit, but I definitely feel the same way um, about the relationship that we're trying to strike with the people that we are selling products to. Um, we want them to be in our ecosystem and communicating with the brand, not just for that one transaction, but for a very long time. Um, you know, and that's not just so that we can sell them more stuff. It's so that we can hear about their stories and help them if they need a repair or if they need to do a return or something. We want to be the 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 node that they go to when they need to think about either uh, buying a new piece of outdoor gear or getting advice about where to go or how to spend their time outside. We really want to build that relationship in the same way that, that Yosef is talking about there. Uh, what do you guys think? So one of the, one of the trends that I think is interesting is this idea of outdoor wear as fashion, which is one of the biggest living in Vancouver, Victoria, everyone has an Arc'teryx jacket. Like everyone is, is using very technical pieces in their sort of everyday life. There's this whole concept of like Gorp core where people are wearing Solomon shoes and, you know, ripstop pants and stuff. What Joseph, can you speak a little bit about to this, the overall trend of, of sort of like technical outdoor wear becoming more mainstream and popular? Yeah, I think we definitely see that, um, 
the world of technical outdoor and and uh, fashion is kind of uh, uh, merging a bit and i think our aesthetics and and our um, how should i put it uh, i mean we never we never tried very hard to fit into the conventional norm of how an outdoor brand should be or look uh, for us we have always um, had our own way and our own expression um and and i think that's also it, it speaks to a lot of people now these days that really are mindful and curate what they wear so um uh, and one aspect is the looks of it but also as i was speaking to before the versatility and and people especially young people today they they want to go to work and then maybe you know oh go ballroom with a few friends or uh, i think we have a lot of customers uh, and users staying in cities but cities in uh, proximate uh, to to nature and are are living kind of in both worlds so we definitely see how it's merging and uh, but it's also for us i think you know we keep doing what we are doing and and it's important to not lose yourself in that and just um, stay true to who you are and to your core and and then trends will come and go uh, i love the danish term hygge which is this idea of like warmth is there are there any swedish and i love i love schadenfreude the german term of taking pleasure in other people's pain which is a weird thing but are there any swedish terms around the ethos of your brand or that that i should know about or or any or around are there any swedish terms or expressions that are particularly that I, that, that i'd find interesting do you think <laughs> <laughs> good question you know, we have, we, we have um, something it's a, it's a hard word maybe Allemansrätten. It's it's a uh, Allemansrätten. Yes, it's uh, it's okay. uh, the freedom to the, the freedom to roam. So it's actually a law in Sweden that you can you can go you can go wherever you want to and you can pitch your tent wherever you want to, even if it's uh, land owned by someone, uh, as long as you don't uh, leave a trace or or harm, um, and you can stay for up to two nights. So it. It, it creates and you are free to go and to you know to pick berries and to yeah to roam and that's a really a fundamental thing in Sweden that uh, people take for granted but you see now that freedoms are and land is being um, uh, under contest it's it's um, it's limited so then you yeah. you realize there's something we need to to take care of preserve that's exactly what I was looking for, by the way. You'll have to spell that for me in the chat or yeah. in an email so I can include it in the write-up because otherwise it will probably be lost to me forever. Um, but I bet, yeah, I bet that resonates. I don't know what's, is, is it like that in this, I guess it's, I'm trying to figure out if it's like that in Canada or in the States. I think it's a little less free that I don't know if we have that fundamental right in, in just to like post up and you do in all sorts of places where nobody is. But I, think, uh, but I bet that resonates with you too, Wiley. And, and, and one other word is it friluftsliv. It's uh, it's you have it in in Norwegian and Swedish, and it's um, you know being outdoors. It means, or life out in the free, uh, but but it's also an activity. So if you speak, if you do a survey, uh, and you ask, do you conduct friluftsliv? Then then you get nine out of ten say yes, I do, and I cherish it, and it it's. Is being outdoors uh, kind of for the sake of it, 
and you may be skiing or or walking or climbing or or picking berries but it's not uh, driven by the performance it's just for the sake of being outdoors and i think that's also um something that's uh, that we're very proud of yeah i love it wiley I sh- i'm sure you agree yeah absolutely i mean i think that that everybody has their own relationship with the outdoors some people um view it as uh, maybe adversarial. They go out to like brave or battle the elements or something like that. Other people go for the exact opposite reason to connect with nature, you know, grounding in the, you know, hugging trees and walking Every bare day. feet and doing all that. And so um, my my personal relationship with the outdoors is certainly the latter. Um, you know, I like I like being out there and and smelling the smells and taking it all in and, and really connecting in that way. Um, but I don't think that that uh, that it's it's anyone's right to really uh, judge how people connect with their experience outdoors. You know, I think that you can certainly get positive, you can have a positive experience battling the elements or or being in conflict with nature when you're outside, if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking to kind of suffer out there and that brings something out in your psyche, that, that's ultimately positive, provided you're doing no harm to nature, of course. But yeah, um, yeah, I think, you know, the relationship people have with the outdoors is very personal. And um, as long as people are, um, respecting nature and respecting others experience with nature. I'm okay with whatever anybody wants to do outside, but you should probably do it with a, a Houdini rumple blanket. How has the marketing gone for this product? Like how does it exist in your worlds? Is it, is it a featured product on both sites or how has like, just talk a little bit about how the actual marketing and, uh, the, the go to market strategy with the product has gone. want to kick us off Wiley? Sure. Yeah. So we, we just broadly speaking, aside from Houdini specifically, broadly speaking, we typically treat collaborations like this as kind of energy moments for the brand. Um, we don't buy huge amounts of these products. Uh, typically we like them selling out fairly quickly or, or having like, you know, some predetermined shelf life. It's not something that's going to live multiple seasons. So it's a reason to communicate with our audience, um, you know, do something exciting, give them something special and limited. That's not going to come back but it's definitely not like a big revenue driver for the business. Um, and that's never how we treat them. Um, we, we have a couple of times with bigger partners, you know, kind of got um, uh, just wide-eyed about how, how big the reach and the revenue opportunity could be. And we always find time again that these are much better suited to serve as energy moments, ways to communicate with your, with your audience and not necessarily big drivers of dollars. So that's, that's how we started from the beginning. And that's kind of how we treated the marketing around it. And collaborations have been a part of your brand identity since the beginning, but like from the art side, you've done such a great job yeah. in resisting the sort of commodification of, of just blankets by making them into art pieces with all of your art collaborations. So this is sort of an extension of that with a, with a great aspirational brand like Houdini. Um, and then yeah. is it similar from your side, Joseph? How, does, how, how do you guys look about go to market with projects like this? Here, I mean, Rumpel has done a lot of collabs and we have not. So... I mean, we collaborate all the time uh, with different actors, but but this is the first kind of pure product design collaboration from our end. And uh, so it was uh, interesting uh, ride and experience for us and uh, really the same as Wiley says. It's it's about um, making something that feels genuine and relevant and um, and that speaks to to our users but also hopefully to um to be able to introduce us to some of rampus users and to new users and to just yeah project in both of your customers minds that you're the type of brands that do cool things like this with cool brands like each other 
Um, it's just another way to engage people, even if they don't buy it, it's like goes into their mindset. Okay, well, they're the kind of brand that does this and does that. Like, I just think it's it's just a great way to kind of build the the, the brand identity and brand energy. Your, your uh, energy moment, I think Wiley was a great a great statement as I well. Um, my other favorite brand that I live with is Pluffle, the dog bed for humans. And Wiley, I gotta say, there's probably an opportunity to create the ultimate blanket for the dog bed. Uh, I don't know if you know Pluffle. We share one of our suppliers with Pluffle, and uh, and I spoke to those guys a little while ago. I don't know if um, I think it was this year. It was like the highest increase in search terminology, do- human dog bed on Google, top ten or something for the year twenty twenty three. Yeah, no, it's it's a thing. People are people are into those. Those guys came out to our our mastermind uh, in Victoria, and they paid in pluffles for all the uh, founders of Pilot House and D 2 C. So we all now, sorry, yeah, we all have yeah pluffles integrated into our lives, and it's it's one of the more unlikely stories in D 2 C to be like, what you're doing, you're yeah. building what, and then just to have it like yeah. catch in people's imaginations. So yeah, very cool, uh, nice. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on today. This was super interesting. I'll leave links to, to both brands. I think, you know, both of these products will enrich any of our, our listeners' lives. So I urge you to go out and uh, and grab a, an, a mono crew here from Houdini or a, or a beautiful rumple blanket. Um, thanks, guys. This was fun. Thank you, Yeah, guys. thanks so much. So nice talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.